previously on Justified. But what does change mean in, say, policy terms? It means stopping as a party, quarrelling amongst ourselves, looking internally and facing the country and setting out that bold vision for a better Britain and Sorry, changing what, the things what is that, that need vision? changing. What is that, that vision? Is the change that I will bring about. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Podcasting's Praxis. Special because we wouldn't normally record one on the weekend, but we kind of have to. Especially in the middle of the fucking day. Yeah, especially in the middle of the fucking day. But everything's falling apart and we're here to talk about it. So I'm David, I'm here (laughs) as usual with Alistair. Hey. James. Hello. Jamie. Have we started, have we? And Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Okay, and yeah, so we are going to talk about the the, the, the elections, there are some of them anyway, we will not be talking about the Scottish elections, this is not happening today <laughs> Keywords today, I've bullied him into it Yes, we will cover well, it but not today, partly because like, there's still only a third of the seats counted total, so we'll just be ignoring that for now um, Instead we're going to we talk largely about England but is, it, is it true that independence is off the table for another generation? That's what I'm um, it, it's <laughs> off the table until the next general election because Boris Johnson has already said that he's not going to give another referendum. So, like, what they're going to do? Just hold one, <laughs> libs. Is that next general election going to be the most important election of our lifetimes? There's uh, been a lot of elections like that lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about it. I'll try not to, if I can help it. Well, there was a fair bit of Labour saying the quiet part out loud when it, it was like, the, when they were doing the get out the vote stuff, they were saying, like, this is your one chance to have your say, as if, like, the rest of the time you should shut the fuck up. And even then, they would like you to vote and shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really an election, more a referendum on whether or not Keith has to be dead before we give him a Viking funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, each lost uh, council seat, one flaming arrow into his raft. So, at current count, right, um, England results, we have got... Labour have lost four councils, and at current count, because it's not finished yet, they have lost 206 councillors. Remember that number, <laughs> because that will come in handy later on. Is that good? <laughs> um, well, yeah, well to do now. so Stephen Bush wrote an article in The Spectator just prior to the election where he did his oh, best to reduce the expectations and said that so long as Labour only lose up to 200 seats it's a good result <laughs> so they've already surpassed <laughs> the expectation management stuff <laughs> 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 so good. Oh, you love to see it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's fucking incredible. Um, David, so, yeah. at the time of recording, what's the, what's the ballpark number that have been what, percentage of councils that are in? There are ninety nine out of one hundred and forty three councils declared at the moment, so we're only really two thirds of the way through. 
and they've lost 206 <laughs> councillors. Yeah. Um, hey, things can only get better, right? <laughs> a, fun, a, fun, a fun little addendum to the lost councillors is uh, some portion of their, like, stipend, I don't, I don't know if it counts as a salary, goes towards the uh, National Party. So that's a lot of, a fun, that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> we've got things males- can only get not worse. we've got mayoral results as well Um, these haven't really changed too much um, that I can see everything that's been declared is already you know is either as it was or um, hasn't really changed hands yet there are a couple in there that could potentially flip Um, the Tories smashed the Tees Valley one with a seventy-two point eight percent share of the vote. Yeah, Jesus insane. I saw some. I saw someone say the other day that when it was last contested, it was a two-point difference between Labour and the Tories, yeah. and that was in like twenty fifteen, uh, sixteen, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think that's bad, previously in twenty nineteen, Labour, when it came to healthcare professionals, we had something like ninety-eight percent of them all voted Labour. <clears> this time, <throat> something like forty odd percent of them voted Tory. Yeah, and I, I think I that was specifically nurses, actually. Oh, was it specifically nurses? Yeah, it was specifically yeah, nurses. That was, the, that was the forty-two percent figure. That was specifically nurses voted Tory, and thirty and change, thirty-six I, or so. Voted I just like calling like so, yeah. all the the times bef- you know in the run up to this election when like Starmer was just asked outright how much should nurses get and he just he wouldn't give an answer he wouldn't back the 12% uh, asked by the Royal College of Nurses it was just astonishing and I, you know far be it for me to tell anybody to vote Tory but hey you know if you want a pay rise and clearly Labour's not committed you might as well vote for the guy who says okay maybe I'll give you something I know it's um, I know it's like bad form to like you know have a go at the NHS and not clap for them every week and all that sort of shit. But I bet <laughs> a, a significant amount of people who work for the NHS are Tory headbangers, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. They are. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, I mean, what, what better way to, to try and destroy something from within than co-opt the people responsible for the administration of it? Mm. Well, uh, Jamie, you got to, like, I used to know someone who worked for, worked for a local council <laughs> that, but, that said that you had to vote for the Tories because they would look after local councils. And this is at the height of fucking austerity. <laughs> and you know the funny thing about that well, is they, they were their right. Councils, though, didn't they? they? Yeah, exactly. They were right because they will look after Tory councils. Like they're more likely <laughs> yeah. to put money. The, the money may not be spent as well as it could be in like a Labour council, even though Labour councils are generally quite shite. But it's you will get some. Like you're, you're more likely to get more fucking money out of it. Like mm. yeah, but the Tories are straight up perverting democracy to create a material pressure to vote for them by essentially they give their councils crumbs and then they starve everyone else yeah. and yeah, that creates a labor positive are, pressure toward them. Labour are just sort of doing democracy for the fucking, like, laugh of it. You know what I mean? It's like we have, we've got mm-hmm. all these councils and, like, two of them do anything fucking useful. The rest, well, speaking it's, of the rest it's just, no, all the councillors are too busy being racist on Facebook. Speaking of which, uh, strangely, Preston Council miraculously survived all of this, uh, this onslaught, didn't it? It did, and that's yeah. really fucking strange. What kind of model could Preston be using that would have changed <laughs> things? I don't know. No, no, no earthly idea. David, it might interest you to know that uh, Preston has tried doing this thing where they give money to the people that live and work in Preston. 
Whoa. Now, that'll well, never catch good. on. Yeah, no, well, that... it hasn't because um, Keir Starmer has literally never made reference to Preston in his time as Labour leader. Is 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 the? <laughs> I mean, I'm not familiar with Preston, but is the High Street just only? Yeah, is, um, is Preston you know, in London? <laughs> is that Preston High Street really just like only alcohol, porn, and and drug shops? Because that you know, if you give people money, I know that that is where they spend it. A eh, Lisa Nandy and Rachel Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's an Watch yourself, Rob. That's the future leader and deputy leader of the Labour Party. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> yeah, we'll go on to that in a bit. Um, we will go on to that. So. One thing to point out here is the um, with when we're talking about the mayoral elections. Actually, there's two that I want to talk about. So there's the West Midlands mayor, which mm-hmm. is the, the most amazingly nondescript fucking area I've ever held to have a mayor. But okay, oh, they're, not, they're not real mayors. They're not no, real mayors. This is just is just bullshit. Is a, what a, it is. A mayor of a particular state of mind. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the Labour candidate for the mayoralty there is Liam Byrne of I'm Afraid There's No oh. Money Left fame. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's key a of the literal receipt. Yep. yep. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the man with the biggest and most obvious this you possible. Um, he is... <laughs> he's trying to contend that he is going to get fucking pumped. Um, there is another one which... I need to find it now. Wait, by pump, do you mean like, is he going to start lifting? Like, what? No, someone's going to crack <laughs> him pumped, off. shagged. He's going to get fucked. Um, yeah. Wasn't he also the same guy? I'm reasonably sure he was. Where There was a lot of shenanigans going on with his staff where um, most of his staff was either sacked or quit in the local fair. So he tried to use like his parliamentary staff to run this local race, which I'm fairly sure was like not There were some allegations around that which we have not proven otherwise, so therefore cannot comment on the specificness <laughs> of that. Another one I want to talk about quickly is the Mayor of West Yorkshire that's up, which again still hasn't been declared yet. Tracy Braben is the Labour candidate oh, yeah. there and is potentially a winner. The thing is, Tracy Braben is actually currently yeah, an MP. If she wins, Labour, Labour lose another MP though, don't they? They do, yes. Um, and worth pointing out, by the way, I'd just like to say right now, the amount of Labour MPs we currently have is below 200 now. <laughs> oh, I can't believe Jeremy Corbyn put us below 200 seats. That's incredible. Yeah, by losing Hartlepool in 2017, uh, we've been below 200 <laughs> for a while now. Um, so yeah, there'll be another uh, election. Um, sorry, there'll be another by-election in... Um, the constituency of Batley and Spen if Tracy Braben wins the mayoralty which um, is the same constituency which Joe Cox was the MP for before she was murdered in the street by a fascist so expect some discourse around that that's going to get real fucking sickening when the libs really start pulling out all the stops about the decorum and why it's actually always going to be a Labour seat because Joe Cox would have wanted that or some shit. Do we know, do we know though, the uh, religious makeup of that constituency? Because apparently that's that's a fact that it's important oh, to hear about fuck nowadays. Yeah, Jesus, that fucking tweet, holy shit. Um, yeah. I can't remember what, what that was. It was it was a council area, I think. Um, but they made a point Labour of... Labour had won in a landslide and yeah. was he... Uh, Britain Elect was it? Britain I think Alex? it was the Britain Elect account, yeah. And they said um, they made a point in the tweet: Jewish, thirty-three point something percent. 
Okay then, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Weird that you bring that up. <laughs> it was for Sedgley. Fucking oh, strange fucking so thing just, to do. So I just quickly looked up um, the election result for Batley and Spen in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, down 12.8 points mm-hmm. over 2017, uh, a majority of 6.7%. Ooh, that's a shaky majority. Yeah, that that's, is. Um, that is. And hopefully, you know, there wouldn't be any sort of insurgent parties by then that could maybe take advantage of the current state. For anyone else, like, that, would be a, that would be a difficult majority to, to hold on to, but Keith can do it. Yeah, of course oh, he I'm can. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the, got form now. He's the man of the hour, mm. isn't he? <laughs> well, I mean, if, if there's anything we learned in the last 24 hours, if not way before, is that QC man talk good and he can explain anything to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so long as he's got his fucking RAM updated or whatever. Fucking. The funniest thing about this to me was the way that he did this. It was it was like peak Miliband hours. It was reshuffles are wrong at a time when my leadership is still ongoing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it really like fucking one wrong word away from a like a really ugly cry on air. I feel like <laughs> essentially what he said was, "I'm gonna do, I'm gonna change the things that need changing, but the things that don't need changing, no, I'm was, not going to was, change." I'm gonna change the things that need changing, and that is the change that I will make. Yes, like he's fucking, like, he's, like, do you know what I mean? Like he's like he's advertising John West Tuna or some shit. It's just absolutely baffling. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. This was, it was the same interview, but they were asking like, well, yeah, okay, changey change, hope change, changey change, why not? But what are you actually going to do? And he's like, I'm not setting out a policy agenda. All right, so what are you going to do? Well, we're going to change because people haven't listened and we need to change further as a, as a party. I'm just like... I will say that um, it is bold of Kia to decide to join a political movement that's focused on change explicitly. Some kind of UK-based movement no, focused see, on change. He's not going to change the UK. He's just going to change what needs to change, and that's the change that he's going to make. <laughs> <laughs> but have you seen the first thing that's being floated out? I think it was it came out this morning oh. or last night or something. That I, the thing I they want to bring that they. Hang on a minute, Rob, before yeah. before you hit on that, I just want to tie everything back and, and just so we can stop talking about males. There's one last bit that we <laughs> haven't discussed when it comes to males yet. Mm-hmm. Is it the resounding victory of Sadiq Khan? Uh, well, if you could call it that. Um, so, <laughs> How's that going anyway? Because... Well, you, you know that way we were told like it was absolutely, definitely going to be Sadiq Khan. So he was going not, to landslide yeah. it. Yeah. Um, at current count, I don't know how far through the count we are, but at current count, Sadiq Khan has forty percent of the first preference votes. Sean Bailey has thirty six. Sean Bailey was like fairly ahead for a substantial portion of this yeah. so I feel like if Sean Bailey if Sean Bailey had drunk his own piss he would have nailed it like just <laughs> slammed <on. laughs> the numbers I have so far is um, 40% Sadiq Khan and 36 on first preference of Sean Bailey which is extraordinary because yes. that guy like imploded constantly throughout his campaign we talked about it on the episode with we don't talk about the weather but like I mean, whatever, we'll see the results and, and everybody will have like an opinion. But if you want my pre-opinion now, I just think a lot of fucking people just stayed home. 
They just didn't yeah. turn up because who gives yeah, a fuck? There's a lot of that going about. <laughs> well, there isn't the council elections. Well, the council elections all seem really low turnout. I don't know. I don't actually have the numbers, to be honest, on hand for London. Um, but yeah, like turnout has been either way the fuck down or way the fuck up, depending on what the election was. Yeah. Mm. Well, Khan told everyone that voted Labour in 2019 that they were, uh, or everyone that didn't vote Labour that they'd made the right choice. Was that was that what he said? Yeah. Some along those lines, yeah. And, so, and I mean, I, said, uh... I'm, I'm not I'm not a fucking politics guy, but I think <laughs> that if you're trying to get elected, going around telling people that they like they're doing the right thing by not voting for your party is probably a bold move. <laughs> well, I mean, well, he did the same in see, This is this is where you and the politics men differ because. In their view, if you spend the better part of four or five years telling everyone to never vote for your political party, you can absolutely turn that around on a dime as soon as you get a new guy in charge. Yeah, the and problem, everyone, everyone oh, will listen to you. Oh, the problem, oh, all the um, live update, the, folks. Live right, update. Ooh, labels one in Wales. I I will be very honest and say I have z- zero but none idea about Welsh politics. So I have I can't say anything about whether that is good or bad. Well, what I've heard, because again, I am not well read on Welsh politics. Scottish politics are enough of a fucking ball ache for me to fucking keep up with. The policies that have been kind of pushed through Wales have been absolutely to the left of UK Labour at the very least. I think that's probably mm. nebulous enough to be you know both true and acceptable to most. Um, it's been a platform. They've pushed policy heavy and it turns out it's done them really fucking well. Um, and you contrast this to the Scottish election, which is like shittingly close to an SNP majority. It kind of shows you that any sort of left wing policy is probably going to be a bit of a winner here. Yeah, the vibe the vibe I've been picking up from Twitter is that um, if you listen to people outside of Wales, Welsh Labour promised to like you know impose uh, implement communism immediately, and that's what got them through. But if you listen to anyone from Wales, they're they're also shit and probably shouldn't be trusted. It does seem like they've lent left in order to to, to get the trend. They've at least said the, the right things, the which yeah. yeah, they've at least said the right things, which UK Labour have been absolutely adamant they will not do, and they must actually attack the left at all times. Are you suggesting that like not voting for Labour is is the right choice? Is not the right thing to say? Um, no, actually, I, I would I would echo Sadiq Khan's um, yeah. statement entirely. You should not vote for Labour. Do not vote Labour. Um, but yeah, so it, it's interesting how just the slightest whiff of left wing policy proposals actually does you really well. What is the what is the polling that there's been a bit of polling hasn't there about what's responsible for the Labour collapse? What has it said oh, is responsible yes. for the Labour oh, collapse? Oh yes, there is. Oh, I've been looking forward to talking about this. So presumably Jeremy Corbyn is the top of that list because that's what I'm hearing. No, everyone's too woke. I think that's what it is. Mm. Well, I have some figures in front of me. So this was a poll um, done for Channel Four News to find out why people weren't voting Labour. So the main reason for 14% of people, which is the top reason, was Keir Starmer slash leadership, which is just beautiful. (laughs) The next one is, do not agree with policies or policies not clear at 11%. So that's already a quarter of your fucking I will not vote Labour, like, is purely down to Starmerism, which is just beautiful. You love to see it. But can I commit, like, can I just, I mean, on this specifically, like, I mean, it... A lot of people have said by now, and certainly we said it a bunch of times on the podcast, but 
if you look back on it, like the last couple of months, and especially since the election campaign kicked off, it has just been absolutely wild that that there's just been no policy. There's been no real announcement. There's yeah. like, no, this is what no, we want. It's no. just like, we want cops, NHS, and jobs, jobs, jobs. And it's just like, but what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. What do you no want? No policies, it's- only vibes. 10,000 more cops and 10,000 more MILFs in Hartlepool. I think that was the, <laughs> the entire <laughs> policy topic. I mean, did you see that bit um, uh, where Owen Jones, who was first denied the interview with uh, with Saudi Paul and then got one anyway because he just posted about it on Twitter? And he did. Did you see the interview? It was just yeah. excruciating. I'd never watched Al Quest. It's the first time I watched did he, um, like, did he him actually. Did promise to kill the Batman or something? <laughs> See, that's too firm a policy commitment. It, it, it yeah. was just like, what, why should why should you be elected here? And what specifically about Hartlepool that should get vote, you elected? Vote for and me, or just... close another fucking hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like literally, like I have children and they go to school here. Yeah, that was it. It was my kids go to school. Why should you vote for me? My kids go to school. What? Oh, and it's hell. just like, and, and I want them to have a good childhood. I, just you know, do, do you remember that line they tried to push a couple of a couple of was relaunches it, was ago? This, was this argument like my kids go to school, so vote for me, so that I can continue to keep them away from your kids? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, what he was trying to do very very poorly was that line from a couple of relaunches ago. You know, the the, the best country to grow up in and the best country to grow old in. That, but just like shockingly bad I mean and then you know you have to remember that the guy was parachuted in on a a short list of one and I'm just like you couldn't find anyone if you're going to do like this Mandelson's back yeah I mean but like you couldn't find anyone in this whole fucking you know friends of Jeffrey Epstein But like, I just, I just, I just really want to know because it was all pushed through the national executive committee and everything. It's like you couldn't find a, a, a person who, you know, who didn't appear quite so brain hemorrhaged and, you know, machine politics on the outside as he was on the inside. Like you couldn't find a single living, breathing soul with something to say. No, well, Keith, Keith's already an MP. no it's like i mean here's the thing it's very obvious what happened there from the outside which is that labor basically went this guy is politically useful i nearly said useless i suppose that too this guy (laughs) is politically useful to our internal party political disputes it'd be good to have another mp shored up from like center right so we'll parachute him in and and at no point do we stop to think can he actually win it you know, yeah, that's not no, the concern. Engaged it, it's no. a blocking move. No, well, the problem, the problem, all these like fucking melts have is they they like think it's still like the nineties. Do you know what I mean? Where like the papers say something and they believe that like just because they read that in the papers and that's that they believe that everyone else in the country read it in the papers and believes it too. So the. You get all these think pieces from like the spectacular Dracula and Cole, where they say like, "Oh, <laughs> Keith's a shoe in the wind because he's vanquished the the, the ghost of Corbynism," and then they just turn, they think, "Right, well, we've won this. We just need to turn up." You know what I mean? We need right. to turn up and just say, "Oh, Boris Johnson, ooh, like sleaze, uh-huh. and we'll win." Yeah. I mean, it's don't. cargo, it's cargo cult Blairism, but it for is like, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's. As though they've only ever had Blairism explained to them by the likes of fucking Newgate Akehurst. The only person, yeah. the only person who ever like knew 
what was like the only person who ever really understood how Blairism worked was Blair. Do you know what I mean? It's like like he knew that a, a fucking dog in a like red tie could have won the '97 general, and like he won it. He he stuck around for two more elections, was it? And he saw yeah. the writing on the wall, and he pulled the ripcord. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He got mm-hmm. out before mm-hmm. he could be he could like lose an election and have like you know the the, the stamp of failure across his forehead. And so all these other pricks are just sort of like, no, if he comes back, if he comes back, we he can win again. He's won three elections for us. He's like the only person, like in, the only la- Labour leader in our lifetime to have won any elections, let alone three. And it's like, you just don't un- engage with why he won them, how we won them, like why he couldn't do it again, what the consequences yeah. of his actions were. You know what I mean? None of that. It's yeah. just, no, he won by I being mean, Tony just... Blair. So if you're more Tony Blair, you'll win more elections. Straight up, the electoral coalition that he put together, well, you know, Blairism put together... Um, yes, in death. the 2000s and the late it's 90s gone. just does not exist anymore no, like it's, and the economic conditions that produced it yeah. are definitely gone you know the, the, ex- just really just absolute scenes and I'm just I mean can we can we talk about some really spectacular uh, cope and takes uh, well, at this point in a second oh, yeah, please. The, thing, the thing with the Blair stuff is it's like you had what 17 years of Tories going into 97 yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's and right. John Major's ele- John Major's like uh, government. I think were as surprised as anyone when they won in ninety three. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think it was ninety three. Um, and you know, they they I think they they genuinely believed they were fucking doomed going into that election, and so they were surprised to win it. And then they go into ninety seven, and it's like you know anyone could win that. But these are the people who were they've all had educations in politics. They're supposed to be the experts. And they just know nothing. Do you know what I mean? They can't see that it's like, yeah, you had 17 years of the Tories, like assets stripping the country, putting everyone in the North out of work. Obviously, everyone in the North is going to vote against them. But then you get in and just carry on doing the same fucking thing, but maybe a little bit more slowly. Do you know what I mean? Well, that was sure start, Jamie. Come on. That was sure start. Yeah, but you know what what I mean? No, it's like you you can't trick that. You can't like, it's like if if people have grown up under the Tories, and they get a chance to vote them out. They take it, and then nothing changes. Their material circumstances just carry on getting worse. You can't trick them again. Like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, but Jamie, come on, let's face it. Would you have got become uh, a director in global communications without the help of the Labour Party? Let's let's face facts. I mean, <laughs> I would. Uh, no one, like, frankly, you know what I mean. <laughs> would my life be any different? But I mean. That's, I mean, that's that's like a that's a, a, a perfectly crystallized example of the sort of shit Tony Blair did, where it's like, oh no, you you get to go on the New Deal like three times. I think I went on it, and I came out of it with like, <laughs> you know what I mean, a fucking like numerous bits of paper that have done nothing for me. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, oh, now I can claim I've got a qualification in this. Does it help me? No. Has it ever helped me? No. But at least I've got the bit of paper now. Well, and and somebody in the uh, uh, Home Office or the DWP can tick you off as a statistic and say, look, he's got three more degrees, which is then something they can tell oh, to the Independent even, and the even Guardian. they don't pretend they're degrees, mate. There are, there are some limits to how far you can like bend the truth. <laughs> to bring it back to why Labour essentially are like this, the thing about Blairism is Tony Blair understood how to work politically. He created a narrative to explain what he'd done to disguise what he actually did. And as part of securing his hold over the Labour Party, he went around and basically knifed anyone who showed any talent. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that was part of it. What he selected for, what Labour Party selected for, was people who believed the bullshit. I don't think David Kelly died of a knife wound, did he? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that, 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 that is what we've been left with in the Labour Party. It, it, intentionally, any contentious, you know, challenge to Blair's agenda was smothered in its cradle. And almost again, any. I'm not sure that Robin Cook was smothered. <laughs> oh. Well, Dr. Oh. David Kelly was certainly something. <laughs> Too heavy? <laughs> nah, fuck it, leave it in. What, what's Tony? What's Tony Blair gonna do? Like raise the dead at work? Fucking <laughs> warlock looking prick. I mean, he does look like a fucking necromancer these days with that haircut. It has to be said. No, but it just. I've, yeah, he, hasn't got I time, just, he hasn't got time to sue us. He's too busy casting Bone Wall in Diablo 2 or whatever the fuck he does these days. <laughs> Red Wall, surely. Well, I mean, like we talked about it on, on, our, on our last episode as well, you know, like the stuff with the coastal communities and the fishing industry. It's, it's, there was no revitalization. There was no restart. No. There was no rethinking. I mean, you know. No, well, the fishing, industries, the fishing industry should have had the good sense to be involved in finance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, but, it, it's neoliberalism. He was all for. He was con- he was continuity Thatcherism. That's all it was. Yeah. It was about maintaining the structures, not about actually changing anything. And that's why 2017 was such a big deal. It was explicitly about saying, okay, we cannot change the nature of capitalism under under the neoliberal model. So, well, the only thing we can do with it is sort of contour it, shape the edges, and then tweak it so we get a little bit more tax returns. And then with those limited more tax returns, we can redistrib- We can do sort of very mild redistribution um, with with means testing and making sure that single mothers and, and youths don't get it, but the right people, you know, the, the, the virtuous people can the get it. The deserving poor, I believe, is the... Is the, uh... the deserving poor, yeah. And, then, yeah. and then that is the way we can govern because there is no other way because that's, you know... Us We'll get back into Mandelson, I suppose, in a little bit. But, you know, that's why he also said we are very comfortable with people becoming filthy rich as long as they yeah. pay their taxes, because yeah. that was the bargain. And of course, not knowing or being too stupid I mean, to, to realize to that, point, yeah. that, that capitalism will eat you, will just dissolve you into into paste, essentially. And that is exactly what happened. I know there's, um, I know there's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of melts get really upset when you, you say... Uh, Blairism was just Thatcherism with a different hat on, but mm. like I think the the biggest proof that Blair was just like the second Thatcher is going to come when he finally fucking pops his like ancient clogs. The fucking party in this country is going to be off the charts, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I cannot fucking wait. Have we considered though that perhaps the 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 shadow of Blairism isn't actually responsible, but actually it's the shadow of Corbynism. The long uh, Corbyn, I yeah, think, is what yeah. we're calling it. Yes, these the days. long shadow <laughs> of long Corbyn, which is obviously <laughs> long Corbyn being adjacent to wide Putin. Um, <laughs> the the poll that we were talking about a little bit, where it was obviously Starmer that fucked it. Um, if we look through that and look at kind of things, you would maybe say, "Well, that's that's Corbynism they're talking about here." Policies mm, too left wing. Four percent of people thought Labour was too left wing. Um, we had divided, which is a favourite of the centrists, three percent, and two woke, two percent, and anti-Semitism, two percent, Brexit, one percent of people. 
And what yes. percent was um, that they hadn't changed the things that need changing and that was the change they would bring about? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was Keir Starmer slash leadership 14%. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do some like like prime grade snort some 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 high grade cope uh, from from some very interesting people? I, I picked out a few, one of, a couple of my favorite takes. Obviously, this is all like Twitter and interviews, so you know, f- forgive me, it's not articles. I think possibly is this, f- this going to be a procession of different like idiots saying that the problem was Ed Miliband? Uh, one of them, yeah. I mean, that's my first one. <laughs> my first one. This is possibly my favorite of the whole set of responses so far. This is uh, Peter Mandelson, who said that the, the results in 2021 is a rebuke against the 2010 Labour Party Conference Electoral College because they picked the wrong brother. <laughs> get, the, get the fuck, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we should Peter have, we Mandelson... Should- Peter Mandelson did say he would have a meltdown if he if the result didn't go well, and that's a pretty good meltdown. That is pretty solid. It's just, I just fucking, do you know what I mean? As much as much as it gives me something to do, like I'm just so tired of the like the 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 sort of like correct prick theory of politics where we just need the right fucking arsehole in charge of the party and the votes will just roll in. Do you know what I mean? It's like it wasn't it was Keith. It was it's got to be Keith. Who wouldn't love Keith? He he's a QC. Like, he used to fucking run night courts to prosecute people for like looting a bottle of water during a riot. <laughs> who who wouldn't it, love him? You know what I mean? It's, um, who, who, it's, it's strictly what it is. Is Labour see a, like the actual process of gaining votes? They see it as a PR exercise. They see it as selling something. And if you're not able to sell it, it's because you don't have a good enough salesman at the front. Well, and they don't see- quite. Un- we don't quite understand that if you have a succession of people knock on your door trying to sell you a scam, eventually people get wise to it. They just they don't they don't quite clock that that is how people actually work and how they actually look at the empty suits of a Labour Party. They're cheap car salesmen. Like that is mm. what Keir Starmer looks like. He looks like a cheap car salesman these days, and people see it a mile away. But James, the thing is, they also see the the activity of trying to sell people an actual car as very uncouth. It's yeah. like you're trying to sell these people cars, and they're actually going to sell them a car. That is just extraordinary. Yeah. We wouldn't I mean, even dream of selling these people never an mind actual that this, car. That this, you know, the, the torturer prince across the water was involved in fucking extraordinary rendition, and God knows what else is fucking shite. <laughs> I mean, it really just it it bends the mind, but but it fits precisely in what we were talking about with sort of Labour and Tony Blair. Is that the policy don't matter? You just need a guy, and if a guy is good, then whatever the content of the thing is doesn't matter because you can just fuck around. It doesn't. None of it matters because it's all just like a high school popularity uh, test. <laughs> I just remember seeing. Um, I just remember seeing some like um, Scottish Labour twag getting mad that the SNP were actually offering people stuff. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> the, the quote, if I remember correctly, was "How dare they offer bribes to the electorate?" I think was how it was phrased. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, bribes to the electorate. Uh, my 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 other favourite moment of the evening is, of course, one of our absolute core brain geniuses in British politics is, of course, Mr. Dan Hodges, um, whose response, I'll read you the the, the tweet, is, um, this is another key test for Starmer. Will he now purge momentum? If you can be, <laughs> if you can be a member of momentum and Just a member of the Labour shit. Party, then the party has zero chance of recapturing seats like Hartlepool. 
I am pretty sure that momentum is spoken about by people who don't like momentum more than anyone in momentum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just bring you. Uh, I mean, one of my favourite other bits, which is not so much one person, but there's been spades of them everywhere, especially in and around the, the the Guardian, as you would expect, is that there's now like a whole cargo plane full of weirdos who are now calling again for you know the liberal alliance between Labour, the Greens, and the Lib Dems, uh, specifically oh. focusing around this one weird trick in politics, which is proportional representation, because you know that's what's going to solve everything to do with this country. I'm taking a long hard look at Scottish politics and yes yeah. having some kind of proportional system does solve all your problems doesn't it David doesn't it <laughs> that's the one weird trick isn't yeah. it David that's why Europe that's why the European continent is a fucking you know peaceful idyll of a garden right David <laughs> and you know what? it's really weird that all the liberals are the ones that support this how strange how fucking odd that libs would support it more than anyone else it's I mean just baffling again like just baffling I really hate this PR one weird trick bullshit and it's like I mean look first past first past the post is an absolute piece of dog shit and I think we can all agree on that but like you know, PR isn't going to uh, resolve the the contradictions of capital versus labor and people with money and people who don't have money and, you know, no. bad housing and all that shit. It's just, you, you're just tinkering around the technocratic edges with your fucking briefcase in your hand because that's what you're comfortable doing because talking about the material conditions of the working class is not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. FPTP? No. PR? No. STV? No. T54? Yes. David! <laughs> Don't um, let me get the fucking water bottle out again. <laughs> and of course, like now the knives are, are coming out as well. Um, Adonis now calling for, after propping Keith up for a year, definitely more behind the scenes in 2015 and onwards, now saying he was a nice lawyer, but it's time to go because obviously he's served his purpose. Now, you know, the real vampires are, are supposed to fucking turn up and take over um <laughs> see i note. i am um, I, I, I obviously i i think keith should step down as well but you know what i mean i don't want like fucking andrew adonis to think i'm i'm backing his player or anything so i'm gonna call for andrew <laughs> adonis to follow his dreams and like attempt to get the guinness world record for largest forehead tattoo <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, all this talk of um you know, people get the knives out for Keith. Um, can, if, if everyone on the podcast would look at the other channel that we have, uh, just to look at the little picture, little Keith's face staring out his office window. <laughs> I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. My balls keep on falling. They're the worst I've ever had. Aww. Like, he genuinely, he looks like he's sitting there at a piano going... No tomorrow. And for him, it's literally true. <laughs> That's well, that an incredible is... photo, that like. He looks so haunted. Do you think the do you think the photographer was do you think the photographer was dressed as Tony Blair or something? It was like a really fucking like concerned look like he's shocked that someone's pointing a camera at him. Although, <laughs> what I will say, that's the most human I've seen him look in a photograph in a long time. Yeah, actually, it is. Maybe that's maybe that's why the photographer snapped it. <laughs> it's only because you can identify with the base fight or flight response that he's clearly pondering. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing we have learned from the last two months of camp campaigning with Keith, is that his photographer fucking hates him. 
I've never seen so many abysmal official no, photos no, being no, put that, no, 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 that's just Every the way photographer looks. hates him. Every single one of them. Even the ones <laughs> yeah, that work at the just, Guardian fucking hate him. It's his superpower <laughs> is that he's just photoshopped into reality. <laughs> I want to know where he gets his enormous trousers because that those seem to like just every time I look at that fucking photo of him in the big trousers, they just are always somehow bigger than I last remember seeing them. Oh, it's just it's the, it's like skater stuff in it. He's wearing the baggy trousers, so you can't see his like shin pads. <laughs> Moth or quiche? Oh, the, the shin pads from kicking the left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From when he's from when he's thrown when he's evicting landlords from their own pubs. <laughs> and other normal pursuits <laughs> if I can wrap this bit up um, with a, a little discussion about Keith himself and like what's going to happen next I think he's going to be trapped in a shipping container and lit on fire <laughs> <laughs> what you think will happen not what you hope will happen I think Andrew Adonis is going to trap him in a shipping container and light him on fire <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's been a lot of fucking chat about leadership contests and whether or not he's going to stand down. It's not no, going to happen. I don't think, like, I don't think so. They still let non-members pay three quid to vote. Well, yes, they do. did they get they rid do. of that because it was, like, it was entryism? That's exactly it. I think that no one should expect Starmer to step down, even if Sadiq Khan lost London, which, let's face it, like, at time of recording, even with the numbers, does not look likely. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be funny, though. It would be, ex- yeah, it would be hilarious because London is the real red wall, but it's it's not going to happen. Even if that did happen, Starmer would stay on for a bit because they need to make sure they go through a set of procedural changes within the Labour Party to ensure that the left does not get a sniff at it. Because remember, yeah. the, yep. the Labour leadership and the, the, the Labour um Yeah, these are the machinery, changes that need changing. <laughs> the, the Labour leadership and the, the Labour machinery are effectively convinced that the Reds are still under the bed. They're convinced the party's packed with them, even though, I mean, I, I know very few, I, I know quite a few people who were Labour members up to 2019. I now don't know that many, despite knowing the same people. Like, Look, a lot David, of them have just, just said, because Fuck I'm it. recording from underneath Luke Akehurst's rake scar bed doesn't mean that I'm not a serious leftist. <laughs> Fuck's sake. But, like, yeah, they're all gone for the most part anyway. Like, most people have already fucking abandoned them, as, as Hartlepool of all fucking places definitely fucking confirms. Like, a lot of people yeah, have just I said, think the, Fuck um, it. I think the current rules are if you're still getting fucking like three emails a day that sound increasingly desperate from the Labour Party, you're allowed to vote in any leadership elections. Oh no, no, I, no but, I don't know about uh, that I because I, I I was getting all sorts. In fact, I got a I got a, an email from Jackie Bailey, who again, despite me not being a member since like last year, um, it was an email from Jackie Bailey, which was a forwarded. Um, response to an email I received from some other fucking nomad in Scottish <laughs> Labour the previous day. Oh no no no! It was it was better than that. The 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 one that I had like a couple of days before had been saying it was a fundraising email and we want to raise ten thousand pounds. And when I got the one from Jackie Bailey, like on election day or the day before it, they had only raised eight and a half thousand pounds and were still looking for fifteen hundred quid. <laughs> like. That would have been minutes and cleared under Corbyn. I got a, I I got an email half ten on Thursday night, um, thanking me for everything I'd done 
like to help the Labour Party. Like, can, I, can, I just, can I just take this opportunity to say, you're fucking welcome. <laughs> you, hear that, you hear that, listener? We are the official podcast of the Labour Party. <laughs> Whether we're for or against it, it's up to you. I, no, oh, but David, can I, can I just to briefly respond seriously to the point about, like, I think Kia will stick around because the change that needs changing and we will bring about the change mm-hmm. that changes need um, is going to be, like, you can see it's being briefed already that they want to reshuffle the shadow cabinet and they want to bring back um, Hillary Benn, you know, the, our favourite warmonger well, from oh. the... Six- I thought now wasn't the time for personalities and reshuffles. Yeah, but it's going to be. So, like, Hillary Benn's going to oh. come in, you know, the, the architect. Yeah, but of, when... Can you think of a better time to rearrange deck chairs? Not really. <laughs> um, and the other one is... Um, it's The other one is Yvette Cooper, who they also want to bring back. You remember oh. Yvette Cooper? Oh. How great she was in the leadership elections in 2015. I mean, she's, she's only got, got more She's experience. got a proven track record, hasn't she? I, 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 think, I think Rob is... I think Rob is dead on the money with us. I think that's exactly what we're going to try and do. Whether they're successful or not, like, I'm not sure. I think there's a there's an alliance inside Labour right now which is looking a bit shaky, to be honest, around Starmer. And I think they might get their reshuffle, uh, yeah. but I'm not sure Starmer will be able to stay on, genuinely. Um, because I think there's a lot of a lot of people who have basically they're in they're in their position right now to feather their nest. They're getting very nervous. And, you know, they, they basically, like, Labour suffer from a problem that they can't do any structural analysis of the present. They can only look back to the past and say, well, that happened, therefore that that's what's happening now. And they do it with Blairism all the time. They think those conditions were what exists now. Um, and they're doing it in other ways, too. Like, that's why they're looking back at Miliband, they're looking, you know... I think, like, partly it's a rhetorical trick they're doing to try and, sh- you know, shuck off the blame, but also it's genuinely, that's that's how they look at things. And that's why they're afraid there's all these reds under the bed still. Yep. It's because, oh, we recently had this massive influx. That means material conditions are such that it's here and will happen at any time kind of thing. They're unable, pathologically unable, to look at this situation soberly and to I learn. Wish- I wish full communism was as close to being a reality as these fucking freaks thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Every no, single time they let slip what their fears are, I I somehow get more erect every time. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> like, every single thing their shit fear of happening has zero chance of fucking happening, and yet they are openly terrified of it. I think I think the main thing we're going to see as a result of all this is, is basically that, um, you know, Keir's going to become more beholden to the right wing of the pie. That's yeah. that's the long and the short of but it. But my specific yeah. point is, like, by bringing in people like Hillary Benn and Yvette Cooper, they need, I would say, six months, maybe nine. Like, they need to build up the profile of whoever's next because currently there's nobody else. Like, you need to see, you know, somebody, I hate this phrase, but, like, out on manoeuvres. Like, you need to see somebody all of a sudden being much more on the telly, being given, you know, op-ed space in The Guardian, that kind of shit. And they don't have that person right now. So, like, and it's no. not West Streeting, it's not just Flips. It's probably Yvette Cooper or Hillary Benn or Rachel Reeve. Like, it's that type. But they need about six months to build it up. It is West Streeting and it is Jess Phillips, I'm sorry, but the, the most cursed timeline must come to pass. I mean, that is the most banter yeah. timeline, and I am here for it, but... I just want to say that whenever someone says that, like, a politician is out on manoeuvres, just makes me, makes it sound like they're on a quad bike to me. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so we're going to change gear a little bit um, and turn this into a little kind of interview section because, um, well, first off, JB's just had to leave us. Um, so we'll be continuing the rest of the episode without him. However, um, I want to kind of talk about the election period itself and what we've been up to. Um, so I have mostly been shitposting or podcasting. That's that's largely been it. I've entirely been shitposting. Rob, Rob, you have been shitposting with, with like numbers unknown to man hitherto, at least in <laughs> Vigorous shitposting. Yes. Um, and Alistair, you've been pretty much the same. Um, um, well, I, 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 don't, I take I take offence I take offence that because I have been watching an awful lot of Justified. <laughs> ah, well, of course, that, <laughs> the only that, true that have something else to occupy the time. <laughs> but James, you've been rather more quiet on the ship posty front. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, this is going to come as a surprise to a few people. Uh, to some listeners, it's not going to be that much of a surprise because we've seen it coming. I <laughs> I have been doing work this election, but I've not been doing work in Scotland. Uh, I'll just, I guess I'll just say it. Um, since the 29th of March, I have been under contract working for the Northern Independence Party as a consultant on operations and campaigns. Well, Sounds very official. It, it kind of is, actually. Like, I've been doing a genuine <laughs> consultancy gig. Mandato- um, mandatory flat cap on? Uh, the, the flat caps aren't mandatory, but the, uh, the, the attitude strongly is. Strongly encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You will be given a whippet of a door, comrade, kind of thing. <laughs> All right, okay. So, like, what, what's that actually involved in? Well, before I got, get into it, I should, I should make a couple of kind of statements up front for benefit of our audience, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, first up, at time of recording, I am still a member of the Scottish Green Party, and I intend to remain a member of the Scottish Green Party. They don't actually know I've been doing this. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> Hi. Uh, hello, Patrick. Hello, Lorna. Um, but yeah, no, so it should be totally fine. Like, other people in the Scottish Greens have done this, and the Northern Independence Party in no way, shape, or form conflicts with the party of the, the Scottish Green Party. Like, they don't stand in the same seats. They don't, oppose, they don't have policy that is opposing to the Scottish Greens. And I also know there are members of the Scottish Greens who have done similar things before um, for work. And this is for work because I'm not a member of the Northern Independence Party. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And I don't intend to join the Northern Independence Party, even though I like them. Um, yeah. my, my, my heart is with the Scottish Greens. That said... Um, we're probably going to be talking at length here, and I will say we and talk about the party I was with, etc. I'm referring to my party in the sense of the party I've been working for, my employer. So I'm still James of Scottish Green, but for this segment, if I say we, I'm referring to the Northern Independence Party. That doesn't mean like I'm, I'm in among them in that way. It's more just like that's who I've been working with. That's who I've been shoulder to shoulder with for the past like you know yeah. five and a bit in, weeks. In, in short, James is a land of contrast. <laughs> in short, it sounds like it sounds like James has had it out for the Green Party of England and Wales, and let me just say, I commend Good. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never been a member of the Green Party of England and Wales, and the Scottish Greens are a different party. Um, they were the same party a long time ago, but around about the time of the Scottish Parliament, they split. I think you went into depth about this on the uh, Scott Paul episode, which is a very interesting listen, if you haven't listened to it already. Yeah, like I, I, I definitely recommend that one. The second thing, right, is before I get into what I was actually doing, I signed a non-disclosure agreement when I came on board. 
which is standard procedure if you're working for a political party, because there's a lot of stuff that's operationally sensitive, things that you, you can't give out because if your opponents know about them, they can plan based on them. Basic stuff like membership numbers, like actual membership figures and things like that. Generally, you don't give people a live update on those things. Now, the Northern Independence Party, their national executive are quite happy with the work I've done. And as a consequence, they have very kindly agreed to give a limited release so I can talk about my experiences with them. But we are putting this episode by them for them to basically just give it the nod and make sure that I don't accidentally say anything that I shouldn't. That's not to say they've given me lines or anything like that. They haven't. And I wouldn't do that. That's not how I am. Um, but they are going to get a review of it. And I think our listeners should be aware of that. So if at any point you're like, oh, I wonder why they're not going in on X, Y, or Z, it's because contractually I can't and I shouldn't. So um, with all that preface out of the way, yeah, uh, basically they brought me on because they needed someone who's got experience at the sharp end of doing political organizing and in structuring political parties because... They are, like, they're good people. They're highly skilled on an individual level, but they are new as a political party. And they basically needed someone to come in and help them build up and help them help them take their ambitions and their principles and their ideas and turn it into an actual vehicle that can, like, grow and work longer term. And so that's, that's the work I've been doing alongside, like, basically building their campaigns. Um... And that's been an interesting experience. It's been fun. And you'll probably want to know more about the campaigns than you will the operational side anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, let's just preface this with the fact that, um, you know, the the Hartlepool, the, the Hartlepool by-election has been and gone. Um, Labour fucked it. The Tories won with over 50% of the vote on a very high mm. turnout for a by-election especially. So, uh, yeah, um, it was interesting. Um the Northern Independence Party obviously wasn't allowed to stand um, because the Electoral Commission didn't get the paperwork sorted out quick enough, even though everything was done as fast as possible on the, the part of the Northern Independence Party. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, the Northern Independence Party put the paperwork in a long time ago. The Electoral Commission came back and said, we need you to ch make the following changes to your submission. The Northern Independence Party made the changes requested and put it in. And then, and I hope this doesn't get cut because it's true and I think people should be aware of it. The Electoral Commission came back and said, oh, well, we're not willing to approve your name because it could be taken as a racial slur. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? Um, and so the party had to put together a case to go, no, that's ridiculous. Hello, everyone. James here in post-production. I want to give a little bit of context to this point because I don't want to misrepresent the Electoral Commission. The Electoral Commission published the emblem, the logo, of the Northern Independence Party on their website for public consultation. They received, apparently, a whole number of complaints saying that the emblem and logo was potentially racially offensive. The letters N, I, and P together. I think you can get where people might come from with that. I do think this is ridiculous. I think any reasonable person would think this is ridiculous. I can understand that the Electoral Commission could just be following their processes in this and just, you know, doing it strictly by the book to avoid any complaints and reaching out to the Northern Independence Party for clarification and for a counter case, etc. What I put to you is this. Your average human being does not spend their time looking on the Electoral Commission website to see what the latest logos of political parties look like and submitting comment on them. 
for the Electoral Commission to receive a whole number of complaints about this, I'll leave it to your imagination who might have coordinated that action, and what possible benefit there might have been in giving the Electoral Commission a reason to delay approving the Northern Independence Party as a political party on that basis. So, food for thought. We now return you to the rest of the episode. Yeah, like, there's been a lot of a lot of Lib Dems on Twitter going, ah, oh, I can't get the paperwork in in time. That's not what happened there. And I'm sure it's just because the Electoral Commission have been very busy and they're not playing favourites or anything daft like that. But yeah, they are, um, they are taking their time about it. So yeah. that definitely hurt a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, and made time, it very I mean, difficult. Bra- Brandon, Brandon is important, isn't it? Especially if you're trying to push out a, a series of... Um, a series of intentions and, um, and and things like that in a political context, it's it's quite a big deal, really. I mean, even down to just um, like the ballot's not going to have Northern Independence Pie or the logo on it anywhere, is it? No, exactly. Never. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to build that association. I mean, purely from a purely from a shithead advertising point of view, it's very difficult to make that obvious what it is that you're trying to sell if you're not allowed to mention the thing that you're trying to sell. Yeah, like all of the candidates that were stood were independent candidates endorsed by the Northern Independence Party because legally that was the only option available because the Electoral Commission didn't confirm the name. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I've got to say, though, despite that, I know that this is going to sound weird, but I, you know, as someone who's not a member of the Northern Independence Party, who's just put in the work for them, the election went really well for them. It, it wasn't an electoral success, but it was never going to be. That wasn't the point of this election. Yeah, um, I don't think anyone ever had a a definite like vibe of the Northern Independence Party will take Hartlepool like as much as it was as it was fun for me to put five pound on a thousand to one fucking bet like I knew it wasn't going to get cashed in I mean that would have been fully banter timeline like you know Keir Starmer's still the leader Labour leader but he's also like interesting now insanity timeline right oh yeah yeah for sure so I mean, yeah, they 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 didn't they didn't carry off like a, 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 an astounding win in Hartlepool, and I'll be honest, like I I don't know because obviously it's hard to find Northern Independence Party candidates at local level when they don't have it next to their name. So I genuinely don't know how they've done in a kind of wider context through the local elections, but it was never going to be a, a huge electoral success. But it was one for the party itself. Like, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I kind of need to talk a little bit about the situation. I came in on the 29th of March, Mm -hmm. which is very late, very, very late. Usually if you're doing an election campaign, you have a three month-ish wind up where you're essentially putting stuff in place. And when I came on board, um, basically they they had one person who had a bit of experience doing election campaigns for Labour, but that was kind of it. The rest of it had some very highly skilled professionals in their day jobs. It had um, a lot of enthusiasm. It had like a good membership, but they didn't have any of the structure and any of the logistical knowledge or anything at all necessary needed to be able to properly contest a campaign. And when I was brought on, my brief was very simple. We want you to run an election campaign, which doesn't make any glaring mistakes, um, which skills up our membership and gives us experience in doing campaigns that helps us build structure and that ultimately 
when you're done, delivers a framework by which we can seriously contest elections in future. That was it. I mean, and just getting just getting teething problems like the fucking electoral commission to recognise the party is, you know, in any 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 future election is a huge stepping stone you won't have to overcome, basically. Yeah, but I mean, I, I want to be crystal clear. Like the electoral commission, the name thing hurt a lot. But it's not like the biggest problem. The biggest problem was essentially that the Northern Independence Party only really got to the point where it had enough resources and enough membership, etc., to contest the election round about the time they announced their, their candidates to be selected for that election. That's when the Northern Independence Party went from being just like essentially a very small like group of people posting on Twitter to being an actual going viable concern. Mm-hmm. And when you actually look at that timeline-wise, the fact that the campaign they delivered actually went in, unfolded, that there was professional literature hitting the doorsteps, that there was a good manifesto, like all of that stuff is astonishing in such a short space of time. But it's not going to be astonishing if you're on the outside and if you don't have experience with politics before and if you don't know where they were starting from. Because it really was a standing start as of the 29th of March, basically. Yeah. Like in five weeks, that campaign came together and delivered. And, you know, the, res- the result at the end of it, um, it doesn't matter. The result was not the point. This is essentially building the capacity for the Northern Independence Party to do elections in future. Mm-hmm. And in that, it was actually a resounding success and it went very, very well. And that's what the intention was. It would have been nice to keep the deposit in Hartlepool, I'm not going to lie. But yeah, no obviously, one's yeah, really yeah. seriously thinking, you know, no one seriously thought, oh, that's going to happen, right? Um, I mean, even when the polling came out, it was surprising, but there was skepticism there because of factors on the ground, which I can talk about when people are interested in Hartlepool. And so like, that's, that's kind of, that's basically it. The Northern Independence Party is a long-term project. Mm-hmm. And to be a long-term project, you have to, there's no shortcuts. There's no like, you know, you don't get to cut to the head of the line, essentially. You have to put in the work and you have to build something. And I can say with some authority um, as an as like an independent voice who has worked alongside them, these guys are stone cold serious. They're now organised in a very strong way. Their political instincts are good, and I genuinely, genuinely think they're going to go on to do some really impressive stuff in the north of England. Um, you know, it, uh, th- there's no there's no doubt in my mind about that. Whether you know, uh, whether or not um, people see them coming is very much a case of whether they're really paying attention. The, they've just, I mean... I mean, it- James, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is something you'll be able to answer, but there has been... I, oh, well, I mean, you've sort of mentioned in private about um, having to struggle against the other parties. Is, is that something you could go go into a little bit here? I can I can talk a little bit about it. I mean, I should probably I should probably give my background on why I'm doing this. I think why why yeah, did yeah. James from podcasting his praxis, James a member of the Scottish Greens, mm-hmm. why did James come and do this for the Northern Independence Party? And um, the honest answer is, I looked at them and I saw real potential, and I saw some qualities that are remarkable, that are very rare in political parties, extremely rare. Um, Good political instincts. I saw that they were measured and serious. Like, I know they joke, they joke, but they actually have a point behind it. And they're realistic and they're very, they're very directed to what is actually concretely achievable. And most importantly of all, they're prepared to learn. 
like they're prepared to try stuff and not do a labor you know yeah yeah i mean i i, I think something i saw from uh i don't know if it was like the nip account or one like a member or something but it's like you know the labor party is a serious party but they're a joke but the nip is a joke party but they're serious yeah, yeah, yeah and that's basically. sort of the that's sort of the main vibe that i've been getting i think least. the the joke thing really comes from people obviously it's the people who are calling them a joke are people who aren't remotely interested in the party um but the, it, it's the decorum lib thing that they just don't like a, a and as bit. as shit posters ourselves we can understand that you can actually you know make a stupid post that is just purely for laughs yet also at the same time be deadly serious about a point behind it i mean there's a reason satire in this country has died right <laughs> yeah basically and it's also like um People also, like, the Northern Independence Party started during lockdown when no one was able to go out and do anything. And so that meant that the world was primed to have a bunch of shit posters draw attention. Yep. And what the Northern Independence Party did to get attention and rally people together is just a first step. It's not all of who they are, essentially. Yep. And, uh, you know, longer term, like, they are a political party. And I've got to say, I'm very impressed by what I've seen internally. Like, it's not weak. It's the start. Every political movement, it, it all starts that way. It starts with a small group of people who come together, who are able to rally others to their side. And they look they look small. They look like, oh, they're not going to achieve anything. And then when they first start out, they don't immediately leap to the head of the queue. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. But what impresses me with the Northern Independence Party is they are very, very quick learners. I cannot stress enough how quickly they pick stuff up and how little resistance you know I encountered to come in and being able to tell them you need to change X, Y, and Z. And the result is, it, it wasn't just like, yes, okay, boss, let's go, because that's not the attitude or relationship that we had or that I brought to it. It was, okay, why do we need to do that? Okay, that makes sense. Maybe a couple of questions on clarification. And like, they're just constructive and they're positive and they're, they're seriously heavily focused on mm -hmm. making a difference and approaching it in a in a really like actually quite scarily intelligent way. I mean, yeah. you know, I I read I I skimmed the manifesto. It looked fine to me. I personally have my own questions about regionalism in a broader context, but you know, it looked like a fine manifesto to me. I I saw again. I watched that Owen Jones thing. I thought. Out of all the candidates, Thelma Walker looked like the only human being uh, on stage, essentially, mm, which yeah, I thought was yeah. extremely good. But I wanted to ask, like, apart from sort of the, the internal mechanical stuff, because what I was more curious about, like, what did you guys see in Hartlepool? Like, what, what, you know, what was the background to this election at the local level? Because I think we've had a lot of like national level coverage, and I've just sort of had mm. the feeling that once again, you know, this is just the media rolling into town saying, "Oh, look, you know," like we were doing Pop Safari again. And I was more curious to see what the NIP saw in Hartlepool, and therefore what it tried to offer the specific election. There's quite a lot going on in Hartlepool, and you're right, the national media haven't really covered it, and they haven't really got it, and they were never going to, and Labour certainly were not going to at all. Um, the election campaign that Labour put out was shockingly bad, and I genuinely, like, I, I was sitting working on it, and every time Labour would do something, I'd sit and just stare at it and go, what are you doing? I mean, I, I, I read the thing, I think it came out yesterday, that, like, 
Um, one of the main things that they thought was important that a lot of this was steered through Labour HQ and that they were super like pointy that like the St. George's flag should fly outside like the the local campaign office. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, no, it's just total like, oh, they're all flat cap wearing whippet, like walking, you know, pint drinking nationalists up there. Like no, no actual understanding of the people of Hartlepool and no respect for them either. None whatsoever. That That's what Labour brought to this election. And their result kind of reflects that. Um, to talk about like, so the Northern Independence Party's result is basically a consequence of a few different factors. And the overriding one is that this election wasn't about winning Hartlepool. It wasn't even about winning the local council seats. This election was about introducing the Northern Independence Party's principles and its platform and what it's about and starting, like, making the transition between, oh, those shit posters we know on Twitter to, oh, that political party that's actually getting organized and is, is getting on the ground. And it's that kind of introduction. Mm-hmm. And so the campaign result sits between those two peaks and that's that's kind of a result of it. Yeah. But then the on-the-ground conditions in Hartlepool are very interesting and Labour... Are, I think are pathologically incapable of acknowledging the grave errors they've made in the north. But, okay, yeah. So can you just it, it would help me to sort of fix my brain on what's going on there. Okay, so a few different things are playing out in Hartlepool, as best I can see it. Um, there was a Brexit vote, a Brexit party vote at the last election, and that was that was up for grabs. Where was that going to go? In practice, most of it piled into the Tory vote. And the reasons they did it, you can argue back and forth about, well, why did they go to the Tories specifically? Was it just that the Tories got Brexit done? Don't think so. Don't think so at all, actually. I don't think Brexit and nothing we saw when we were talking to people suggested that Brexit was like the overriding concern. Like, that's not why the Red Wall voted the way it voted. It it voted the way it voted. First of all, the Red Wall isn't a thing, but if you take the territories there that they've said that's the Red Wall, the reason they voted the way they voted is because they lost any confidence in Labour to be genuine and to actually deliver for them um, because they didn't see them as actually being trustworthy and standing for something because they flip-flopped over the Brexit stuff. It's not their actual Brexit position that did them the damage. It's the way they approached it and the fact that they seemed like they were trying to pull a fast one. And now and to take them- a big sip of tea and see who the Labour Party have elected yeah. as Labour leader and made the party candidate for Hartlepool. Yeah, exactly oh, no. right. <laughs> yeah, like totally, totally the wrong approach. So what I think happened, and it's important to preface it by saying I am aware I can be wrong, but what I think happened is that Earlier, I talked about like the material squeeze the Tories have made and how essentially what we're saying is if, if you've got a Tory is running your show, we'll give you some crumbs. A lot of people went for that. A lot of people just went for that and said, yeah, no, it's, it's better than nothing. Completely understandable. A lot of people, yeah. yeah, the Labour vote was depressed and a lot of people basically went, I don't believe Labour will actually do anything. Emphasis on the words depressed there, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. I don't believe Labour will do anything. And then the contingent that were left in Hartlepool was a very small group who essentially are completely and utterly disillusioned with politicians, and quite rightly so. They're so fed up because they've had multiple people turn up on the doorstep saying, we're going to speak for you, like Farage and, and all the rest of them. And they've all done jack shit, like in actual material terms, for the North and for Hartlepool in particular. And so there's a, a sizable contingent that are basically, I'm done with politics. I want something different. I, I want some other form of change. I want I want something better than what this succession of suits have done, essentially. 
And you may have noticed that there was a candidate who came in third in Hartlepool named Sam Lee, a local. Um, she, to, to give a little bit of background on Sam Lee, she is a former writer for The Mirror, a former writer for the Hartlepool Mail, and owner of a PR business. And she is incredibly sharp, and my intuition is that she's incredibly cynical. And she basically pitched herself to the electorate of Hartlepool as a vote against politicians. And then she very cannily worked that. And like Game has to recognize Game here, the campaign she ran was an absolute stunner. And we've been doing a lot of work reviewing that and learning from it um, to understand exactly what Sam Lee was able to achieve as an independent and why. And I can't, I can't put this any other way. Sam Lee is a very unusual candidacy, what she did in Hartlepool, and it's probably not replicable elsewhere. And in a little sense, I have to give credit where it's due. The Northern Independence Party got very unlucky having Sam Lee running in that you know, constituency. And just for, um, for reference, like she got like what, nine and a half percent, was it? I think so. Something, something. It, it was, yeah. it was like, more than quite, keeping the deposit, yeah. like, for sure, yeah. which is astonishing. But when you actually look at what she did and who she was attracting, like I said, um, I said she was cynical. I, I don't like, I don't approve of Sam Lee's candidacy, and not because she was running against NIP, but because of what she was doing. She. She went. She was deep into the Facebook community. She was doing all the grassroots organizing stuff because she spent her entire life there, and like she was, you know, very invested. But essentially, she made her candidacy into nothing. She positioned herself as being whatever people wanted to see, and when she did talk about policy, she talked about policy which sounds good if you're a low information voter, if you don't have context. And so she, for example, was in favor of free ports. Because the idea of a free oh, port sounds sake. great if you know nothing. Yeah, exactly, right? So <laughs> oh, um, like no. a free port, if you say we're going to create an economic zone that's going to attract jobs to Hartlepool, like that sounds good if you don't know anything about them, but actually explaining them takes time. And so that's the sort of policy she would actually kind of talk about, stuff that is very hard and it makes your opponent look like a wonk and look disconnected well, I mean, if, if you try if, and explain. If listeners are interested in, in free ports, they can listen back to episode 59 because we do actually talk about them and they are why yeah. they are stupid Fabergé egg depositories. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, so that's like the kind of, that and good vibes was her policy platform, right? <laughs> Which you can't do if you're a political party. And to be fair, like the Labour Party only really offers fucking bad vibes. Let's be yeah, fucking honest. Exactly. <laughs> but here's the here's the other part. She did a bit of a Donald Trump, and that's going to sound incendiary, but it's true. She, she was posting just asking questions about COVID, about uh, mm. big pharma, about big tech, about the World Economic Forum, and about uh. Uh, you know COVID passports. All things mm. about so she's which in, you can ask uh, very legitimate a, questions, but still it, yeah. taken together. Yeah, yes, but yeah, no. But she was very canny in how she did it because she didn't. She didn't come in posting conspiracy theories. Oh no! What she did is nodded and winked to the people on the Facebook groups who were concerned about such things, and basically it was like, yeah, no, I too am deeply concerned and asking questions, and and she really. You know, she she played that very well. She did the she did the Donald Trump QAnon thing, which is not acknowledging, not embracing QAnon, but playing up to it essentially. And uh, this is what I mean by very cynical. I don't think she's that stupid. I don't actually think she believes in any of those things. Can we? Sorry, I mean she's interesting, but can we also like um, the the the? I mean, I'm more interested in how the Tories did it then because they blew it out. They blew the doors off the fucking thing. 
Well, so, no, but, but this is a thing. Like to understand exactly how it works, you need to know what the political context was and how the different groups were hoovered up. And what I'm basically saying is, Sam Lee ate the disenfranchised voter who's just absolutely fed up with political party vote. She owned that and mm. owned it well. Labour kept the diehard Labour, I'll vote Labour and grit my teeth vote, but nothing else. And it really depressed the vote. The Tories mostly hoovered up people who were like, well, we might as well get on the winning team and might as well hope for some crumbs. And further to that, here's a little side fact, uh, side fact, by the way. Do you know what the spending limit is in a normal Westminster election on a constituency level? A couple hundred thousand? No, I've got no idea. It's, it's about nine, ten grand. It varies based on actual constituency side. It's round about there, right? Do you know what the spending limit is for a by-election? A thousand pounds. A hundred grand. Seriously? Fucking hell. You can spend ten times as much in a by-election. Yes. Yes. The Electoral Commission are very, like, you know, they're tight and very specific and very, like, you know, oh, it, it scales according to number of constituents, etc. in normal elections. But for by-elections, they just go, fuck it, 100k, have fun. <laughs> right? Jesus. So, yes. And we're pretty sure Labour were pouring money into Hartlepool, but they were targeting it really badly. Like, if you went on the Hartlepool Mail website during that election period and turned off your ad blocker, it was plastered in Dr. Paul stuff everywhere, which just really ineffective and, and, mm. and who really cares? I am convinced the Tories absolutely spent that hundred grand to the, like, to the penny in Hartlepool. And just they were very canny about it. And I, I really want to see what the electoral return spending is at the end of this. Mm. I was so. going to say, I've, I've been seeing people saying that the thing that the Tories have learned from Corbyn's Labour, if not nicking their policies, then it's the stuff like the, um, uh, the I can't remember what they're called, like the local campaigning thing that they Labour basically just laid uh, off the, lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The community organising unit. They That's the one. Yeah, yeah. they yeah, all got the sacked one. because they were too Corbynite, I think was the reason. And yeah. the Tories have gone, yeah, we'll have that. Yeah, the, the Tories <laughs> literally have. They've, they've taken part of the ground game. They've taken the targeted election spend kind of game. And um, like the, the top three results in Hartlepool, are, I'm pretty confident is going to turn out that it's more or less proportional to, first of all, how much they spent, and second of all, how cannily and how intelligently they spent it. Sam yeah. Lee, as a local businesswoman, had a lot of like backing from the local business community and had pretty deep pockets from what I am led to understand. We don't know. We'll find out later. And so like that's part of the story that's not going to get repeated by the mainstream press is that there was a lot, a lot of money being put into that. Because from a Tory perspective, they had nothing to lose. They have tons of money. And if the opportunity to give Labour such a tremendous black eye, well, yeah, hell, let's go for it. They, they, they spent as much as they could. Labour, the rumour is that the reason Labour wanted the election on this day, because here's the thing, they, they choose when, they're, you know, they have a little bit of say in when candidates go out and when the by-election will be called as a result. Yeah. The rumour is that Labour decided they wanted to have this on this day so that they could double up spending, essentially, on the council elections. Ah, and okay, on, so they could make the same pound, essentially get two votes. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. And that may have been a tactical mistake because there was also the uh, the Metro Mayor elections, which meant that the, Lab the the Tory vote would be out in force as well. So just bad tactics from Labour is, yeah. is a part of it. And it's also worth noting that the, the reason that rumour's going about is because um, there's also a lot of rumours about the state of Labour's finances in general being yeah. absolute shit poor. Yeah. 
another another cargo cultism, I suppose, of uh, trying to emulate Blair is the fact that they just assume that the big businesses will come back once you kick all the fucking members. Well, I mean, out. somebody mm, was yeah. briefing about it. I know it was anonymous. I think pretty sure it was Shadow Cabinet or, or Labour HQ that they they just outright admitted that the the the, the, the Corbyn small donors stayed at home. But the big donors hadn't come in. And of course they haven't because the big donors know that it's certainly in the next three <laughs> years, if you're going to donate, you're going to donate to the Tories because they can actually reward you with contracts and that kind of shit. Was it, was it Liam Byrne by chance who said that there wasn't any money left? It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like... That, that takes you to the story in Hartlepool, essentially. That yeah. gives you an idea of, of why Hartlepool went that way. It's like a lot of people just looking at the way Labour's behaving and going, they're utterly nakedly contemptuous of us. They don't get us. They're not from here. And like, you know, any, any chance Labour had to make a difference there, they absolutely just spaffed up the wall, just mm. absolutely like, you know, threw it out um, and wasted it on pursuing a course which no one in Hartlepool wants is the thing. Like, the, the Labour's vision, such as it is, no one wants it, no one cares about it. And they also picked, I've got to say, the worst possible candidate. Shockingly bad. I mean, by, shockingly bad. Yeah. By comparison, the Tories had a candidate who was a, like, you know, non-story. And that's like an advantage when you're running against a candidate who is a story. Yeah. They had a lot of spending. They had, they actually put things in the right place. And fundamentally, the prevailing winds blow their way. They've got that material pressure. There's a lot of people going, well, if we got a Tory MP, at least we might get something. And Labour had no counter to that. They had no vision to that. They had nothing they could successfully execute upon. Ta-da, yeah. that's it. <laughs> there, there, there really isn't, the story is not that complicated. So, I mean, the, the the results come in. Obviously, the Tories win for some other, you know, for many of the reasons you just stated. Um, the NIP, let's be frank, I mean, did you think you underperformed? Because it was quite low in the end. Or, or was there, you know, where does it go from here, this project? Well, so did the NIP underperform? Not really. And that's good. Like, people are going to look at that and go, 250 votes. Oh, that's like terrible, really bad performance, etc. And it's like, sounds like nah, cop to like, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, actually, realistically, here, like, the point of this election was essentially to scale up the NIP and learn how to run elections. Yeah. Like, that, that's the simple fact of it. It was like, they very nearly didn't bother. They were like, oh, I, I'm not sure we're in a place where it would be worth doing right now. But then we kind of thought of it and thought, you know what? doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt because individual election results aren't important. What's important is what you actually do with the movement. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the brief was all very, like, they literally they literally told me, we don't care what the election result is for this. It's not important strategically long-term. And they're right. They're absolutely right. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is actually building the movement side yep. of it, building the actual structure well, yeah. and being in a place to do better like in future. Yeah, well, the SNP were a fucking joke, weren't they? Like, the SNP yeah, were effectively but- a non-party for quite a considerable amount of time and then suddenly... Someone won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, literally. With yeah. the with the NIP, like if I had started with them three months ago, which was just not feasible, just not possible. Yeah. If I had started with them three months before the election, um, and if they'd been registered as a political party, they would have absolutely kept their deposit. No, no doubt about it whatsoever. But for that to happen, the NIP would have needed to have been basically a different party, a different. Sp- part of its life cycle yeah um and that's like that's just a fundamental case of it 
So as far as I'm concerned, like the people who are writing NIP off now are being very foolish and very short-sighted, and they're going to be embarrassed in future Python because the NIP... Do you want to know what the actual reaction was from the on-the-ground membership and all the rest of oh, it to please, the article yeah. result? Yeah. So the on-the-ground membership obviously were like, oh, that's gutting. I thought we would get a little bit better than that. Makes sense, though. Right, what are we doing next? That was it. That, that literally, they just immediately yes. bounced back. And like the guys in Hartlepool were, are basically saying, right, so what do we do next time as a Hartlepool by-election? Um, and immediately went into this, so what did we do wrong and why? What were we forced to do wrong? Because here's the other thing about the NIP. That election, so much was forced on them that there was just no winning moves that could be made. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole Picard quote, right? Um, sometimes you make no mistakes and still lose, essentially. Mm. And from the NIP's perspective, like structurally, starting basically five weeks before the election day, um, with no internal kind of actual infrastructure in place and no capacity to do on the ground teams for reasons to do with like, for example, a little known fact, right? You can't just send people out into the street to canvas and, and campaign. You need to actually have liabilities insurances. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. have any idea how hard it is to get liabilities insurances as a political party? Speaking of which, James, how has your sleep schedule been for the last few weeks? <laughs> oh, man, like, genuinely, like, I came on and I worked, like, 16, 18-hour days for the first few weeks. And I had a, a lot of fun doing it. They're great people to work alongside. I can't, like, on a personal level, I cannot speak highly enough of the people in there. They're all, they're all great. And many of them are shit posters, so we got on, like, a house on fire. But they're all serious and they're all just very... Like, even when I come in and, like, you know, I obviously know a lot more about how to do campaigns and how to structure a party and what the, what the, what the statutory and then operational side of things requires. I know that more than they do, but I'm really blown away at how quickly they pick it up and how intelligently they approach it. Mm. So, so where, do, where does it go from here? Like, what's, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier. There's the Tracy Brabin. If she wins, there's a by-election coming up. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. yeah. I saw you guys post that, you, that the NIP maybe wants to contest that. But like, just practically speaking, I mean, apart from building a movement, attracting more members, you know, motherhood and apple pie, what, what is next? Okay. I can't say, I can't speak for the party. Um, they've not made a decision on whether to stand in that by-election or not. And I'm not going to preempt my employer by putting words in their mouth <laughs> yeah, or anything like enough. that. Okay. So having said that, here's what I see for the NIP. After this election, they're now going to hold their actual party elections and actually do the uh, party membership because the current NEC is provisional. Um, and with that, they're also building up their operational side really quite strongly. Um, so you can expect to see, like, the, NI the NIP will will definitely be more of an actual on-the-ground operation for future elections in a much more prominent way. And you'll start to see, like, branches of the NIP becoming a thing and local contingents, because the people are there. It's just a case of now the structure is going mm -hmm. to be there to actually channel it. So you'll start to see local NIP groups, um, particularly in areas where, I mean, the, the NIP have posted the heat map of their membership mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how concentrated it is in the north of England. You can expect those big clusters to start to have big NIP presences and movements. And you can start to see them actually building a social movement to go alongside the political party will come out of that. Um, they're very serious about it, and we understand that, like, the SNP for a long time were doing the political party bit, but weren't taking seriously the whole, you know, make a social movement, make the case, essentially. Yeah. Um, the NIP totally get that. And so they are going to be explaining and elaborating on the core of this issue, which is the North-South divide. And so off the back of that, I would... 
be very surprised if there are not NIP councillors at the next local council election elected. Um, and I, I would expect to see that the NIP will do quite well in local by-elections. Well, it depends on the by-election because the money is a thing, right? Let's be totally real about this. No one no one thinks the NIP have a hundred grand to throw at a by-election. So that is a, that's a problem. But certainly at the next actual election, the NIP are going to be a very strong presence. Um, it, it's like that you're going to actually start to see results coming off of it. So when are, when are they going to launch a southern contingent, the Southerners for Northern Independence Party, <laughs> the SNP party? The Northern, northern Support Group. Yeah. <laughs> the, the NIP's approach to this is anyone who wants to wants to support the party and join is welcome to, no matter where they are in the world. That's entirely their, their thing. And this is common for political parties. Yeah. Like the Scottish Greens, Labour, SNP, all of them have people outside the territories where they're actually you know, contesting elections. Um, what the, the NIP are very keen on is to support like separatism of all stripes. They want people to basically be able to enfranchise themselves and take power back from Westminster and to basically correct the imbalance in the UK about all the money flowing to London and getting dumped into London out of the hands of the people of London, it must be said, um, and leaving the rest of the country to rot. And already, like, Plaid Cymru, for all their politics, are not, like, the most brilliant left wing in the world. Um, even Plaid Cymru has been like, you know, congratulations and good luck in the North. Because, like, here's the thing, people were surprised by that. They were like, why is the leader of Plaid, or Plaid Cymru you know, bigging up this little Mickey Mouse style operation. And it's because because he knows what he's doing, because the and the Ply Cymru have been at this for a while, and because they're impressed and they see they see the trajectory, you know? Mm-hmm. They recognize mm-hmm. what the NIP is going to be. And so if you're asking are there going to be like NIP offshoots in other areas, no. But I I strongly suspect other parts of England, looking at Cornwall, looking at Wessex, mm-hmm. are probably going to try and copy this. And speaking personally, all the power to them, you know? Um, it's a, a broad political movement to essentially take the power of Westminster, break it up, and make it available to the people in the territories. Is that going to lead to actual and independent North? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, Scotland is, I mean, we've talked about this before, the law shaggers are having a go of it, but right now there is no path to a Scottish referendum. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't campaign for it. And in particular in the North, even if, even if all the NAP has achieved is create political pressure and advocacy that causes more concessions and more actual money to funnel to the North, um, that is a success. And if for the love of God, it ends up in some sort of Northern parliament or something like that, which is totally unforeseeable, and I'm not claiming that's like an objective or anything, you know, that will be a success in itself. And the way you get that, the way you get that is shooting the moon. I mean, um, yeah. And the SNP I mean, have done I, it. So I, I think this is a d- different podcast than the altogether because uh, the the time. But I mean, I have my own questions about regionalism and localism and and smaller units, especially in the face of global capitalism. But that's you know that's a different conversation. Um, but what I'm more interested in is you know you've said many times on this very podcast that you yourself are an anarchist, and this does not. Mm wholly seem to square, I would say, sometimes with your own hell oh, beliefs, yeah, if yeah, I may. No, no. I, oh, no, I, t- I totally get that. I've, I've, there have been anarchists who in the past have said, oh, being involved in the Scottish Greens means you're not a true anarchist sort of thing. Engaging with electoral politics of any kind means you're not a true anarchist. I've definitely had that before. <laughs> so go I on, like ask the, the question. I like the no true anarchist um, fallacy. This, this <laughs> oh, seems yeah. like a... <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a thing. Like, yeah. so here's the first point. Unlike many other political traditions, 
anyone who says they can define what anarchism is, is talking bullshit. It's impossible to define because anarchism is not prescriptive in that way. Anarchism is a political praxis. It's not the ideology. And I personally like, okay, so this is, this is less about the NIP and more me in general. I generally actually sigh at a lot of people who call themselves anarchists because they are in, they're in three contingents. And see if you can spot like the, the difference here. Contingent one are people who are looking to rebel kind of pointlessly, who are looking to do it as a matter of identity. And like, you know, the Tumblr crowd call themselves anarchists are examples of this. And mm. it's just common in teenagers. It's like wanting to wanting to define yourself by what you're not and kicking out. And they're very light on theory. They're very light on like understanding what it is they're trying to achieve and why, but they like the label anarchist. The second group are armchair warriors who have read all the theory. They can quote Kropotkin to you and all the rest of it, but they've never actually really properly engaged at like the, the sharp end of doing something with a, a meaningful political outcome. And the third group, which are very much in the minority, are pragmatic anarchists who know what they want at the end of the day, but aren't absolutists about things and kind of look at, well, what can I do that gets us even in remotely in that direction of trend? Where is the public at? Where is the, the, the mass of people we're looking to build? Where are they? And how do we speak to their needs? And how do we no, power I, forward? James, sorry, you forgot the fourth group of anarchists, All which right. is the anarcho-capitalists. <laughs> I am pre I am prepared to say that anarcho-capitalism is an oxymoron for fairly obvious reasons. Like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, let, it's let like... Let me um, introduce you, my friend, to a little technology called blockchain. Yeah, that kind of dish. Sounds yeah. like you're breaking then, the non-aggression pact here. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like... It, it, that... That, that that speaks volumes. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that is a, a brilliant famous post that went up on, I think it was Reddit back in the day, yeah. where some like anarcho-capitalist douchebag went to talk to real anarchists in Greece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they were, very, they were very welcoming and accepting right up until they realized what he was. And uh, yeah, he, he just, he had a bad time. Um, but yeah, so like to, to explain where I'm at on this, I, my, my, the specific political tendency of my anarchism is insurrectionary anarchism. Um, I believe that in the conditions we are currently in, the best thing you can do is make people aware of just how badly screwed they are, how badly oppressed they are, that the structures are responsible for it, and give them a working relationship and analysis of power, like how power is used and how power sits against them. And then ultimately to try and ferment insurrection in everything you do, try and get people to actually rise up against power and to try and reclaim it as much as is possible, personally and in shared communities, you know? That, that's, that is the general trend of it. And my kind of position on politics is to take a long, hard look at it and ask, well, what can we actually achieve? What helps correct the power imbalance, even moderately, even slightly? Because the alternative, which a lot of anarchists do, is to basically put their fingers in the ear and, and say, uh, you know, we can't do any of the following things because, it, you know, statism is evil and anything that remotely engages with the state is soiling our movement and is ultimately proceeding on shaky foundations. Yeah, so that's just refusing to re engage with reality. I'm sorry, but like you can't you can't go around the state like it, it is a thing that exists and that has guns, you know, like I'm sorry, but yes, it, 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 absolutely. And it's like, you know, similarly, you get anarchists who they do things like they do squats. OK, and they think that's anarchism. No, it's not. A squat, like squatting in a place you're not supposed to be, is a tactic. It is a, is an action you can take. 
but a tactic which exists without an actual articulable political goal and a strategy to get you there is pointless. Yeah. You do a squat as some kind of leverage. I'll give you an example. Um, Glasgow University uh, closed down the um, you know uh, postgraduate club essentially, which had its own building called the Heverington uh, Building, and um, you know they just they, they basically the the postgraduate club was insolvent. Which you know, like on them, fine. But rather than like you know, shut it down, clear it out, and start again, what Glasgow University did is they basically said, "All right, well, we're taking the Heverington Building back and we're turning it into more rooms, etc." Right, and we're using, we're taking it back under our control. Um, which obviously no consultation with the wider membership, and you know, no no attempt to actually speak to the student body about it. So what happened was you had a movement called the Free Heverington, where they squatted in the Free Heverington. And used that as leverage to try and get concessions out of Glasgow University in order to actually save it, essentially. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, look, we're going to sit here, we're going to be really irritating, we're going to be really obnoxious, you're going to be paying the utilities and rent, etc. on this building, but not getting anything at all out of it. And we're going to continually just be a thorn in your side. And uh, it showed promise. It showed potential. It didn't work in the ultimate sense because, unfortunately, there wasn't an organized, manageable political goal to deliver this. There wasn't like an actual, there was no attempt to actually f have a settlement to force. And so in the end, it failed. But it could have been useful if they had actually used the squat as leverage to gain an articulable political goal. Yeah. There's a lot of anarchists who don't get this. They don't understand. They think that by doing a squat, you're showing how life could be, and they're completely detached, completely detached from reality. To, to summarize, basically, I look at this and I think, well, the British state, the parliament of the British state is far removed from people it governs. The closer parliaments are to their people, geographically and also in terms of representatives per number of people, yeah. the more accountable they are just directly, the more that power arrangement is like a subject to veto and subject to people actually going, no, we're not cool with that. And you see, I think that's one of the reasons you see Scotland doing a little bit better with the Scottish Parliament, simply. And so anything that brings power closer to the people is ultimately a good positive step. I'm not going to pretend that the Northern Independence Party are anarchists, they're socialist. Um, but I can work with comrades in arms towards a goal, and the ultimate goal is some form of communism. My version of communism has no state. But then, you know, will we ever get there? I don't know. But to not try to fixate on your castle in the sky is to waste your life. Yeah, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Hey, I'm not wasting anything. I've got my haunted castle. So, you know, as soon as I've got the, de as as I, as as I've got the demons out, I'm fine. I will be happy with the state of politics when an argument between a Marxist-Leninist and an anarchist will have material effects on people. Like, mm -hmm. that's the point where I mm -hmm. know I am content with the state yes. of things. Up until that point, anything is fair game to fucking move towards that. And yeah, I totally, I totally yes. appreciate that. And that's, that's perfectly reasonable to me. Okay, so that'll do us for this episode. We will be back um, with this regularly scheduled episode on Thursday we're covering more of the election stuff and you know we'll see exactly how much of that we get to in the meantime though we have an announcement that announcement is that we now have a Patreon so if you would like to support us you can do so at patreon.com forward slash praxiscast 
And you should do so. Yeah. Give us your fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> please stop us starving to death in the content mines. Yes. Please do. Um, Pay for my extensive therapy bills due to this fucking podcast. <laughs> we, well, um, initially only have uh, Discord access as a, as a perk. We will be doing bonus episodes down the line. The specific types of episodes will not be gated off in any way, so everything will still be on the main feed. It's just they'll have extra stuff of maybe cultural committee or regular news or article reads, that kind of thing, behind paywalls but like one episode a month probably to start with and we'll see how we go um the more patreons we get the more bonus episodes we'll be able to do yeah pretty much if we get enough money we might actually get some decent gear and maybe sound like we fucking do this for a living at some point yes <laughs> possibly breath you know no I mean? no <laughs> we, we might even start to do scott paul as a regular thing if we get to a hundred thousand patrons so you know that's, that's something to look forward to yeah that's <laughs> it but only at that point you get one more Scott Paul episode, and then after that, nothing until we've hit the hundred thousand. <laughs> Jamie David's just going to return to a grave until the next time we have a hundred thousand patrons to do Scott Paul. <laughs> so I guess in conclusion, um, regards for Patreon. If you agree with us that we live on a very normal island in really benighted times, and it's important to find light wherever you can, or at least laugh at it. And if you can't, then please support us. Please join with us. We're going to be here and doing this regardless. It would be nice to have some company along the way. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And on that note, we'll see you on Thursday. Bye-bye. See you on Thursday. Bye. Bye. See you.